In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So today we're going to speak about a very important character in the Bible. What's really nice about the book of Job is that it's a, it's a standalone story. You don't have to have a lot of knowledge about the rest of the Bible to understand the book. Um, so it's very self-encapsulated. And also speaks about something that's like very practical, which is how do we deal with suffering. It also gives us some purpose behind suffering. Um, you know, one of the biggest questions that people ask whenever they go through a difficult time is why. Why is this happening? Why is it taking so long? Why is God not answering a feeling of being abandoned by God? Um, and certainly Job experienced all those things. And he was tempted to curse God. Actually, his wife told him, curse God and die. Um, he, he was very much, um, he was, he was very much uh, suffering for, for s quite some time. And it was like the most you could ever really imagine. And one of the things that's comforting about the book of Job is that most everyone, if you try to compare your own situation with Job, you're saying Job was probably worse because he pr pretty much lost everything, his health, his family, his children, you know, his possessions. Um, but he didn't lose his faith in God, and that's the thing that kind of carried him through uh, everything to the, to the very end. So we're going to speak a little bit about some lessons that we can learn from his life. The first thing that we learn um, really uh, from the very beginning of the book is that Satan is subject to God. In the midst of all of the suffering, and though we find that the suffering is very extreme and painful, um, and, and, and that it is from Satan, um, not from God, right? So it is not that God sends catastrophes on people. You know, some people think that when we speak about God is allowing trial, then that means that somehow God is the author of the trial, that God is the author of the catastrophe, that God is sending curses on us uh, and, and is like almost desiring that we feel pain. But it's not. Actually, the, the world itself, the corruption of the world or the work of the devil um, or the actions of other people, um, these are all the reasons why we experience pain and suffering in various ways. Disease, for instance, is something that is a part of the corrupted world that we live in. Um, and, and, and it exists. Um, the, the evil intentions or actions of other people that might cause us pain. This is the actions of people, not the actions of God. And Or as we see here, Satan himself, who is seeking to destroy Job, this is the work of Satan. But we do see that God allows this. right? He allows, meaning he doesn't step in to prevent the normal um, uh, function or activity that is happening around. Now, there are times where he will. There are times where he prevents um, certain things from happening. But in many cases, he allows them, but he allows them for, for a good reason, for a good purpose, so that we can benefit from them in some way for our salvation. So we see here that even though God gave Satan permission to tempt Job, and yet uh, in every way, God was still the one dictating the boundaries where uh, Satan could tempt. It says, And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person, meaning do not kill him. Um, but you can do everything else. Okay? And this whole conversation with Satan started because actually God was boasting of Job. And he said, Do you see my servant Job? There's no one like him in all the earth. And Satan, in his envy, um, because he doesn't want there to be a person who is glorifying God in this way, he says, Yeah, well, he's this way because you have given him everything. 
Um, you, you, there is nothing you have not blessed him with, and that's why he is blessing you. That's why he's praying to you. That's why he is as good and righteous as he is, because you have given him everything. Um, uh, but if you remove these things from him, then he will curse you, right? And so this was like the test. God comes first to the boasting of Job, and Satan then in his envy wants to prove that the only reason that Job is um, is righteous is because God has given everything. Actually, this itself is a false statement because how many people do we know that God has given them everything, but does that mean that they are righteous people? Maybe the, the if you think about the wealthiest people, if you think about the most powerful people, if you think about the people with the greatest blessings, does it necessarily mean that those people are also the most righteous and the most God-fearing? No, actually, maybe the opposite. Maybe we find that they are the least God-fearing. They're the ones that just trust in themselves and trust in their possessions. The fact that Job was wealthy and had all these things doesn't necessarily mean that he has to be a righteous man. But he was a righteous man, and actually we see his righteousness play out regardless of whether he was rich or poor or whether he had everything or he didn't have anything. But the first point here is that Satan is subject to God. So Satan has does not have the free will to do anything he wants right in the world he doesn't have the free will to do anything he wants god restricts him now he does give him a lot of flexibility to tempt and to do th different things but in the end god is the one controlling the situation and he won't allow it to go beyond what he wants beyond what maybe uh, he, he will allow what we are able to bear maybe sometimes we question this uh, when we go through difficult trials that we believe is beyond what we're able to bear emotionally um, very difficult things but in the end God is the one who knows he knows whether we're able to bear it or not he knows whether um, we're it's going to be like spiritually beneficial for us or not and he might allow one thing or the other and he allows different seasons of suffering so there might be a season of suffering and then another season um, with no suffering and and maybe rest and comfort and then maybe a different type of suffering might come so life is filled with seasons Temptation can come from Satan, can come from people, can come from just the corruption and the world, but everything is subject to God. This is the first thing that we learn. Yes. So definitely that point of th that you said about this is an example to all of us to benefit from. You know, even like when you read the story of like the man born blind and then the disciples were asking Christ, why why was this man born blind? And they thought that was because of someone's sin. Did this man sin or his parents that he would be born blind? And what is it that the Lord responded? He said, no, neither this man nor his parents sin, but that God could be glorified through him. So the suffering of that man resulted in the glorification of God. 
And when we see people who are righteous, even in the midst of like the worst kinds of suffering, this is a glorification of God. Like it's showing how God is able to support us even in the midst of like very difficult trials. And in this situation, God wants to humiliate Satan because Satan is constantly trying to prove that he is right and that God's way is wrong. So even for us, when we read it, we're like, because maybe the, the time where the time where people would be the most likely to reject God would be during the times of suffering, right? Like those are the times where people will question, like, is God even exist? Why is God allowing this and so on? So, so this story shows that even in the midst of like the worst possible suffering, God is present, God is allowing it, there's a good purpose for it, and there's an end to it. It's not going to last perpetually. So we benefit from the story for sure. Um, it comes to mind also in Tobit, the book of Tobit, chapter 3, where in, that in the book, um, so there's a story about this son of Tobit, his name is Tobias, um, who, uh, who is going to marry uh, a woman whose name is Sarah. And Sarah is, has a problem where every time she marries a man, there is a demon that comes and kills her husband. Um, and so she's not able to marry. And so she is suffering a lot. And, 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 and there was a, an incident that happened where like one of her servants uh, blames her and mocks her, um, accusing her because it's known that her, her reputation is that anytime she marries anyone, like the demon that comes and kills her husband. And so she's like has this reproach in front of the, in the eyes of the people. So she's suffering a lot, um, Sarah is. After, but, but, but as she is praying to God, she says in Tobit chapter 3, she said, But all who worship you are certain of this, that one's life, if it should be tested, shall be crowned. And if it should be in tribulation, shall be delivered. And if it should be corrected, shall be permitted to approach your mercy. For you are not delighted with our perdition. For after a storm, you create tranquility. And after tears and weeping, you pour out exultation. So it's a very beautiful prayer that she's praying. And she prays it in the midst of her suffering. Right? Like, that's the hardest time to pray. Like, maybe uh, after a trial is done, we look back at it. And maybe we've, we're thankful that it's, that it's complete. Maybe we feel like... We, you know, we were not as faithful as we should have been in the midst of the trial and so on. But here in the midst of the trial and like the hardest time before any solution has come to her, um, without knowing what is going to happen, she's praying this and she's trusting that God is going to bring her some kind of resolution um, to the trial. Because, again, we believe that God is present and that God is the one be, um, allowing everything. So that's the first thing. Satan is subject to God. The second thing is that bad things happen to good people. You know, this is a big question. Like, why? Like, like the the first time when we see like some some bad things, we call them bad things, um, difficult things, painful things happening to people. We look at the who the person is, and we say this person is good. This person is serves the poor, and this person serves in the church, and this person pays their tithes, and this person is righteous, and this person doesn't curse, and this person is faithful, and this responsible, and all like all these things that are good. And, and, and then we say, this person doesn't deserve, right, the suffering that they're experiencing. So why is it that God would do this? And again, here in this story, um, it says, The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. So can you imagine to that extent, he's saying he is the most righteous man that ever lived. There is no one like him on the entire earth. And yet he is the one, this righteous man, he is the one, whom God allowed to experience the worst possible suffering, right? So it tells us what God allows. In the book of Ecclesiastes, it says, the rain falls on the righteous and the wicked. 
meaning even the righteous people it gets they get rained on just like the wicked people um the the bad things right happen to both the righteous and to the wicked it's not that the righteous are immune it's not that the righteous um because of their status that god protects them actually part of the reason that that the righteous are righteous as they are is maybe because they have god has refined them right he purifies them in the fire he 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 refines them so that whatever faith they have can grow and increase and and again be a model and an example to all of us of how someone should endure and could endure suffering so it's a very uh sobering view um because maybe we want to believe that uh if we are good right then good things will happen to us this is like the message of the prosperity gospel the idea that the, the 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 good people the godly people god will reward them and give them blessings and wealth and 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 all good things it's not that god doesn't want to give us good things but sometimes the good things themselves or what we call good are actually bad and maybe the things that we call bad are actually good we have very a uh, limited perspective on what is good and bad you know st paul when he was uh suffering from a physical ailment um that the bible calls the thorn in his side uh and he asked god to remove this thorn from him three times and god said no and he said my strength is made perfect in weakness meaning by you having this thorn by you having the struggle and suffering and ailment right this is actually going to further the gospel this is actually going to be beneficial to you and the reason was is because St Paul had seen visions of heaven like God had allowed him to see visions of heaven so so in order for St Paul not to be puffed up with pride at all that he had done and and all that he had seen and and all the authority and power that God had given him to heal the sick and to do miracles and all these things God wanted to keep him feeling w- weak because as long as he kept feeling weak he understood that all the source of his power was coming from God and not from himself and so he allowed him to start to suffer with this okay so so there's reasons why right and maybe whenever we suffer maybe we f- one day learn the reason maybe one day we will realize why or maybe we won't there are times where we will never know why why is it that god is allowing me to struggle the way that i am or to you know from on a day-to-day basis the way that i am and some struggles are short-lived and some struggles are lifelong right so so why this question it's not having anything to do with our righteousness right is it possible that god rebukes a person because of their wickedness yes it is possible the purpose of that is to bring the person back from where they were it's possible that a person in the book of proverbs it says a father chastens the son whom he loves meaning the chastening is for the son if a father loves the son then he will chasten the son if the father does not chasten strangers right he doesn't he doesn't go and find random people on the street that are doing the wrong thing and he rebukes them. No, he only cares about his son. Right? He he cares about what his son does, not what strangers do. So he's saying because God loves us and sees us as his children, because we are his children, that God would rebuke us, that God would correct us, that God would 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 bring us and to 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 understand our our mistakes and 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 to to correct them so that we don't repeat them again. So this can be a painful process, yes, right? But in general, we can't say that every time some bad thing happens it's because it's a punishment from god no it it can be some natural effect of the world that god is allowing you know sometimes people will say i've heard like on, on like people will say when a hurricane or some natural disaster happens in a certain place it's like god is punishing those people because of their wickedness uh, no i mean we don't know that 
Like why 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 would we jump to that conclusion? Right? So so just because people are suffering doesn't necessarily have anything to do with that they are they are righteous or not righteous. Although there is times where it can be. Like for instance uh, when God destroyed the city of Sodom, it was because of their wickedness, right? But but it's not necessarily the case. So just because something bad is happening, you know, it's it's healthy to kind of look at ourselves and say could this be because God is correcting me because of something I did? It's, it's a healthy question to ask, but it doesn't necessarily have to be the case. There are many, many people who suffered, right, that didn't do anything wrong. When we read the Synexarium in the church, every, every litur liturgy, it's the story of people who suffered for Christ, for the most part, right? All of the martyrs, they suffered for Christ. And it wasn't because they did anything wrong that they suffered. Actually, it was for the glory of God that they suffered. And those people see that suffering for Christ is something that they rejoice in and they see it as they are willing to give their life as a sacrifice to God out of the sake of love for God for all that he has done for them so even those people who are at this level that are able to rejoice in suffering they they do so because they see that their own life is not as important as the will of God right and this is this is where we want to be we want to be there we want to believe this and we want to live that way but bad things happen to good people Three, in the midst of suffering, we should maintain hope, hope in God. In Job 13, 15, it was like a very powerful verse. He said, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. Like, though he slay me, like though he allow every manner of destruction on me, though he allow me to go through every kind of pain, though he allow me to suffer in a way beyond what anyone else has suffered, and though my suffering is complete, and and losing everything completely losing everything my health my children my possessions and you know the one person who he didn't lose was his wife and his wife was not supportive of him she is the one who said curse god and die she is the one who wanted him to turn his back on the one person who was god who could actually be a source of comfort to him so in no way was he was he supported and and there were he had these three friends that pretty much the whole book the majority of the book are the conversations that everyone was having together, including the three friends of his that are coming trying to comfort him. And but their their comfort, or their their you know what they considered to be comfort, was essentially them accusing him, saying it must be because you have sinned against God, that God is doing this to you. And he had to spend himself the whole time defending himself, saying I haven't done anything, right? I haven't done anything. So he even though he he looked at the situation and said god has allowed like me to suffer to the utmost right but they didn't cause him to lose his hope meaning he believed that there is still good that can come right there's still good that can come sometimes we we become so focused on the present moment and the trial that we're in and we believe that there is no end to it there is no way it can end there is no time that i will ever you know feel refreshed or feel comforted or consoled or that the trial will 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 will, will stop and and we feel like there is hopelessness right and there is nothing that i can do and so this is something that is very debilitating right job trusted right why trust why like what is it that you have seen from what god has done that would make you to trust him well actually god uh, job trusted in god because of everything he's seen about god from before from before the trial right in the midst of the trial, when we see God is doing all kinds of difficult things or allowing all kinds of painful things, 
maybe we get confused, right? Why is it God doing this? But whatever relationship that he had established with God from before, this is what allowed him to continue through this trial, knowing for, for certain who God is, that God is good, that he is doing something good for me, even though I can't understand it. Uh, and, I d and I don't know it. And I don't know how long it will last, but I trust him. I trust in whatever he does. If Even if what, what, what he is doing looks to me like it's destructive. It looks to me like he is slaying me. It looks to me like he is harming me. That's what my senses tell me. But I trust him. Just like a surgeon, for instance, will take a knife and he will cut you open. You know, he's cutting you, he's cutting you open, right? N but when we understand what the surgeon is doing, we, we consent to it. We say, okay, uh, there is an important reason why the surgeon should cut me open because he's actually trying to heal me of something and the pain of being cut open is actually preferable to the pain of whatever it is that I would have had otherwise, right? Whenever we consent to surgery, that's what we are doing. We're saying, I would rather be cut open than not. And I trust the surgeon is doing something good. When it comes to God, we don't have necessarily a, a diagnosis for us to look at and know ahead of time this is exactly what God is doing and the timing and why. And so it's more about trusting in the way that God works. Why are you slaying me? Why, why are you purifying me? Why are you burning me? You know, why, why are you not listening to me? Why are you not answering my prayer? But I will trust in you, right? So in the end, even if what you do looks to me as though you are harming me, I will trust in you because we, we're maintaining hope because we don't really understand. Number four, our friends may fail us, but God never does. So again, his friends were not helpful. His, fr his, his, his friends were just accusing him and blaming him, saying, this must be your fault. Um, you must have done something uh, th that God is punishing you for. And he kept, they kept asking him to repent, right? And maybe we all have experience whenever we are in a very low season and we have people who do care about us, but they come and say very unhelpful things. They say things that are not comforting. They say things that actually make me feel worse, right? Um, or, or tell me to do things that I already know I'm supposed to be doing, but I'm just struggling to do them. And this is why Job, um, kind of in his frustration with his friends, he said, miserable comforters are you all. Like, miserable. You guys are miserable. Like, you're not, you're not comforting me at all. You're not, you're not helping me at all, right? What is the point? Like, again, the, the people that remained alive in Job's life they were actually another source of suffering for him, right? Not just what he lost, but what he didn't lose. Maybe he would have rather have lost them, right? Because they were just more pain, right? More accusation, more, more a feeling of like, I feel alone. I feel alone. There's nobody here who understands me. There's nobody here who can feel what I'm feeling. And yet still, in, in despite of this, he continues to maintain his faith in God. He said, for I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another, how my heart yearns within me. Right? Amazing for, for Job to say this. Again, he is looking to the one who has in his hand the ability to end the trial. Right? God, it is in God's hand to end the trial at any time. It was in God's hand to prevent the trial to begin with. But instead of looking to God as and, and, and with bitterness and resentment and, ac and accusing him, he, he's, he's yearning, what? To see him. My heart yearns within me to see him, to behold him, right? That is a real love that Job had for God, even when everything seemed to be going horribly, 
right? So he really felt the presence of God with him and that God would not um, God would not disappoint him. And this is also for us like difficult to maybe get there, right? But part of the reason that God might allow very difficult trials is because that's the only way that we're going to get to this point where we really get on our knees and we beg God from our hearts. Maybe when things are going okay and we're we're trying to maintain some kind of prayer life, our prayers are very cold and our prayers are very mechanical. And we're like, okay, I'm going to stand for a few minutes. I'm going to say some words. I'm kind of distracted. I'm not really thinking about what I'm saying. Um, and prayer seems more like a burden to me rather than a lifeline. It's just kind of something I have to do. And even though we know that it shouldn't be that, right? But we struggle to feel that because in our lives we are so self-contented, right? Like my life is already good enough for me and I don't feel lacking in anything. And so God is just kind of like superfluous in a sense. Like, yes, we believe in him. Yes, he is there. We feel like maybe we're doing him a favor when we pray. We're doing him a favor when we when we come to church. We are, you know, we're, we're trying, you know, but God is like one of many, many things in my life that I'm trying to juggle, right? But if you are drowning right in the ocean and you are about to die you will call out to someone to help you with a different kind of um with a different kind of energy right you won't care about anything like there's nothing else that matters in your life except for your salvation because you know that your death is imminent right and we don't think this way about our spiritual life because again like we, we're very immersed in the world and we, we listen to our senses. Our senses tell us there's all kinds of things that we need to be engaged in and doing in the world and the spiritual tends to be kind of on the back burner, right? But in moments where our suffering is so extreme, where it kind of redefines for our entire life what is important. And the only person, if really I am hoping in God, the only one that I feel can actually save me is God himself. Nobody else matters, right? I, I yearn and I... And I plead with God and I ask him, please come and, and fix this problem. Help me. And one of the things we learn in the midst of this trial is how to pray like, with, with, with sincerity. Uh, you know, more than sincerity. We, pr we pray with, like, with real passion and zeal, begging God. You know, like when, when, when Christ gave the parable of the persistent widow, but this woman who was seeking justice from the judge, and she would go to him constantly, persistently, asking, asking, asking. Because for her, asking from the judge for justice was the most important thing in her life. And she felt like she was victimized and she needed help. And so she would go to him again and again and again, right? Why did she do that? She did that because her, her, her pain and her suffering was so intense that there was no way for her to, to live otherwise. There was no way for her to get by. Like that became her whole life is seeking justice for the injustice that was done. And so when we are in the midst of suffering and pain like this, this is where we really begin to see how much God, how much we need him and how present he is. You know, many people go through suffering and they see God in a different light. They see God in a different way, just as Job is going to at the end of this trial. Uh, he feels his presence differently, right? God has been with me all along, but I was ignoring him. God has been with me all along, but I never paid attention to him. I saw prayer as just a checkbox that I would have to check, not like an actual conversation with him. And, and all of that was because I didn't feel need. I didn't feel the need. I, he, God was optional for me. Um, but, 
But when we are in trial, right, and especially when everyone around us is failing us and, and not, you know, supporting us the way that we need, God is the only support. He's the only one that can come to me and, and, and help me. Even in the midst of God's silence, his, uh, his presence is with us. And this is a difficult one because oftentimes we feel like God is silent. God is not speaking. Uh, nothing is changing, right? God, if you are listening to me, then do something. Change something. Let something be done differently than before. Why? I've been asking you for years about the same thing, and it doesn't seem like anything has happened. Um, Job says, but he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. My foot has held fast to his steps. I have kept his way and not turned aside. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. God is present and God is speaking and God is working, but even he, he's working even when we're not necessarily seeing his action, right? The, there is a right timing for everything, right? Why is, why is there a timing? Um, why does God choose certain timing? Maybe we don't know. Like in the book, over 25 times, Job asked the question, why? Right? And he continually asked for an opportunity to defend himself, to, 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 to prove that he was innocent, to prove that he didn't do anything wrong. Um, and so he was in the midst of the suffering. And even as he was trying to speak to God, right, God was silent. Like God didn't respond right away. And again, this teaches us to be persistent. It teaches us to, to follow through, to, 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 to not just respond immediately uh, or to lose hope immediately or to expect that God is going to uh, answer immediately. There's one of the church fathers, I don't remember which one it was, but he was talking about why is it that God doesn't answer us right away when we pray. And he was saying that if God were to answer us right away when we pray, then essentially God would turn into like a magic trick, right? It would become magic. Like imagine if the moment that I asked God to do anything, it would happen. Like without persistence, without patience, without any kind of struggle, it was just instantaneous. It would be like I have power to do anything I want. Who wouldn't be Christian then? You know, like everyone would be Christian. And that wouldn't be because of faith. That wouldn't be because of love. That would be because of power. Like you're essentially granting me power to do anything that I wanted. The moment that I asked God, he immediately responds. But the, the ones who demonstrate real love and trust in God are the ones who relinquish control to him. To say, I am submitting to your will. Meaning, if you want me to go through this struggle, then I will accept it. Uh, if you want me to suffer for some time, then I will accept it. Even though I am asking you to grant me to be delivered from this trial, if it's not something that you want right now for me, then I accept your will. This is a very difficult, and this is very different from just be like, okay, I prayed to God and he did what I want. Other, like, I, like I said, everyone would believe, right? Everyone would, like Christianity would be like a superpower, right? That we would all wield and that we would be able to be successful in our lives simply because we have the superpower. And it would be very clear and obvious, right? Like that we would, anyone who was a Christian could immediately you know, affect their life and change their life kind of supernaturally in this way just by asking, right? But we know that's not the way God works, okay? And, and so 
when you when you say that he is the one that you are putting your trust in, it means that you're trusting in his power, you're trusting in his love, you're trusting in his timing. Meaning, God, you you do it according to your way, according to your time. The other reason maybe also that God does not respond and, and we feel like he is silent is because his goals are different than our goals. You know, like let's say I have a problem at work. And this problem at work, uh, I have a, there's a person at work, my boss or somebody else, who's giving me a hard time and is making my life miserable. And it goes like this for days and weeks and months and even years, and I keep asking God to fix the situation, and it's not getting fixed. Okay, What is my goal? My goal is I want to be comfortable at work, and I don't want to suffer from this toxic relationship that exists there. That's my goal. That's what I'm asking God to fix. Okay. Well, what is God's goal? Is that his goal? Maybe. But maybe he has a deeper goal. Maybe his goal is he wants to teach me patience. Right? Which is a loftier goal, which is maybe not a goal that I'm really interested in. I really, what I would rather have is just this person to disappear. Okay? But God's purpose is, no, this person needs to stay in your life. He is the thorn in your side that's going to stay in your life. And it is through this that you're going to learn patience. Well, why do I need to learn patience? Because something else is going to happen to you later on in your life that you're going to need to have developed that patience to be able to endure, right? Because this is important for your eternal life, because this is important for your salvation. In God's perspective, and like as it says in the book of Corinthians, what we consider to be like very heavy, heavy, and, and, and painful and difficult trials, to God he sees it as what? Light affliction. Light affliction. The reason he sees it as light affliction is because this is like the training ground, right? This is the proving ground. This is the, the place of testing. This is the place of growth that prepares us for eternal life. And eternal life, everything that we want is there. Like in eternal life is the time where we will no longer suffer and there will be no longer be pain and there will no longer be need for patience. And there will be no, no, no longer need for restraint and there will be no longer need for all the things that we are struggling with now. Everything will be given to us freely, right? So, so God wants us to enter into this place and he wants us to enjoy this place. So if there is some suffering that we have to endure now, according to his wisdom, to prepare us to be in that place, then in his mind, this is a far, this is like a small price to pay. It's a small price to pay. Now, again, maybe when we're in the midst of struggle, it's a weak argument, right? Like, I just want the pain to end. I just want to feel better now. But this is part of having faith and trusting in God that even though he seems silent, even though the, the problem seems to be uh, lasting for a very, very long time, but I still believe he is present. And his silence is not a lack of presence. His silence is intentional. His silence is because he wants me to learn and grow during this period of time. And the moment that I have learned it, the moment that I have, that I have benefited from it, the moment I learned what it is he wants me to learn and grown in the way he wants me to grow, then he can end the trial instantly. Right, it can completely evaporate in an instant if he wants to. Right, there are many examples in Scripture where there are problems that existed that seemed like insurmountable, and then in one day it was fixed when God decided it to be fixed. Like there was one specific story, and the in the Book of Kings, Second Kings, I believe, where um, the Syrian army was surrounding the city of Jerusalem, and everybody inside was starving because they they could not go out and get provisions and food to the point where the people in the city were even eating their own children. That's how bad it was. And so there was no way that anyone could have imagined that there would be any quick resolution to this. this the whole city, Syrian army surrounding the city, and there's nothing for them to do. Then it so happened 
that there was these men who were at the doorway of the city that said, you know what, we're going to starve here. We might as well go to the Syrian camp and see what's there. What's the worst thing that can happen to us? Either they're going to kill us or we're going to die anyway, or maybe we can go and defect or maybe we can go get food or we can do something. So they ended up going to the Syrian camp. They realized that everybody had gone. Everyone had left because, because God gave them a, a, a vision that they were going to be destroyed and they, they ran away. Okay, And so in one day, now all of a sudden, all of the resources that the Syrians had, Jerusalem went and took it for themselves. And so now they had everything that they needed, and the Syrians were gone. From the perspective of Jerusalem, right, there was no way they could have imagined a scenario where within one day this problem was going to be solved. And yet God found a way. So God can end the, the trial immediately, in, in, in an instant, in a way we've never even thought of or conceived Right. But the, the reason he doesn't do so is not because of a lack of power or a lack of imagination or a lack of ingenuity. No, it's because he chooses not to. It's because he wants us to experience that for one reason or another. So even though God is silent, it doesn't mean that he is not present. This is a good stopping point for today. And God willing, in two weeks we can continue. Uh, next week is bold. So the, the we'll still have the normal time, the harvest meeting, but it will be a talk, one of the talks for the bold of the conference. Any questions? Okay, can pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, O Lord, for this day. We ask, O God, that you help us to remain faithful to you even when we are in the midst of trial and to see the example of Job as a person who always trusted in you, though, O Lord, you allowed him to experience so much suffering. We thank you, O Lord, for your for the good things you give us, and we thank you also for the things that you give us that we don't understand and wish that we're different. Help us, O Lord, to learn and to grow from the trials that we experience and to draw closer to you. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The love of God the Father, the grace of the only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, the communion, the gift of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace, the peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen.